Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. Uh, so here's the review podcast for the Unit 1 test. Uh, it is just multiple choice. I'm not doing an FRQ with this one. Um, we'll do plenty of FRQs for practice later on down the road, so there is no FRQ for this one. Only multiple choice. I'm going to go through the whole um, pot, uh, review, every question. Remember, there's 22 questions on the review and only 30 and 35 questions on the test because of all the stimulus-based questions. All right. All right. So number one is Federalist 51. And um, the question on the test is a passage from Fed 51. You do have to be able to read it and pull some stuff from it. It is important for you to remember, though, that Fed 51, the Federalists were writing about the fact that separation of powers is a thing and how important it was to the central government to keep all the power out of the hands of one person. Uh, and so that's the the main thought process behind Fed 51. And if you can understand that and remember that for the test tomorrow, uh, you should be in pretty good shape to answer the question um, or the questions that come about Fed 51. Number two was about LBJ and federalism. Okay. Uh, on the test, there's going to be a long passage from LBJ. It's a quote from him uh, about basically the federal government and state governments and schools. So that's what the quote's going to be about. Uh, you need to understand that LBJ did use creative federalism, and that's kind of right where he gave the, the states money and uh, told them to get the stuff done. So he created a whole bunch of programs to fight poverty, if you'll remember that. And you know, he like I said, he gave the states money and said, get the stuff done. This is how you're supposed to do it. Uh, creative federalism is supposed to give flexibility to the states, and they kind of had it. They could spend the money sort of how they wanted to and do, I don't want to say what they wanted to, they had to create, get these programs up and going, uh, but they did have some flexibility on how to get that done. Number three, how do states fill out federal funding and federal oversight? Remember, the states love federal money. Okay, um, next year when you're in college and you know you can't afford to even breathe hardly, uh, and then your parents show up and they take you out to dinner and they pay for it, that's gonna be one of the greatest things ever because it's not something you have to pay for. States are the same way. When the federal government rolls in and says, "Okay, we're gonna do this." and we're going to pay for it, that's awesome. Or, hey, here's the allowance. This, that's federal money, okay? States love that. They don't like the oversight that comes with it. Oversight is where the federal government is watching the states spend the money. So if a state gets out of line and doesn't spend it how they're supposed to or spends it on something they're not supposed to, uh, they can get in trouble, and they can lose funding. They can lose money uh, either in that program or in other programs. So they don't like that part. They don't like the control that comes with the money. They like getting the money but they don't like the control that comes with the, the, the giving of the money. All right, number four, I've debated on putting this question in here. Uh, it is on Fed 84. Fed 84 is not a part of our standards, but uh, there there is the possibility that, that stuff that's not on our list of things we have to know could possibly be on the big test. So I'm going to try this. We'll see. It's just a passage from Fed 84, and you're going to answer some questions uh, directly from that passage. All the information you need will be on the test and within there. 
If it turns out to be a bad question, I, I look at the data. If it turns out to be a bad question, I'll pull it. So don't feel like it's you know gonna. I'm not gonna make a bad question uh, hurt you. All right, number five is about the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's a passage from the Declaration. You need to understand its origins uh, and you know where that stuff comes from. Remember, Jefferson got his ideas from John Locke. The whole consent of the governed, uh, the the, uh, the uh, natural rights. That stuff comes from John Locke. So if you understand that origin story there, okay that Jefferson read him, read Locke, and took those ideas, like, I'm going to put that in the Declaration, then you're in good shape, okay? It's also basically a breakup letter with England. This is all the bad things that King George did to us, and this is why we don't like him, and so this is why we're going to leave. So all that stuff is in there, and then there's a couple of specifics from the passage itself. Number six is from Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. You do not have to memorize Article One, so don't feel like you have to crack open the Constitution and memorize that article. OK, uh, just know that Article one is a de is dealing with the legislative branch. OK, uh, and from there, you're just going to have to answer questions from the passage. It's about the enumerator powers, the things that the, the federal government and Congress can do. All right. Spelled out in the Constitution. Um, so, you know, once you read the passage, take your time on it, read the passages nice and slowly and be sure you're, you're pulling out the correct information. All right. The next three block grants versus categorical grants then weaknesses of the articles and the constitutional responses, and then Federalist versus Anti-Federalist. These three questions are going to be similar in that there's going to be a table, and it's going to have in one column block grants, and in the other column it's going to have categorical grants. So this is a type of question that the AP people have moved to. All right? They went away from just traditional uh, straight-up multiple-choice questions, and you have this type of question now. Uh, what you need to know about it is, is basically you're comparing the two. So as you go through the answers, uh, it'll say something about block grants, and then it'll say something about categorical grants. If they're both true, then that's the answer. Okay. If if one thing's true about block grants, but it's not true about categorical grants, that's not the answer. You're basically just comparing the two things. And like I said, the next three questions, seven, eight, nine, are like that, where you're comparing those the things within those those questions. Okay. Uh, so real quick, block grants. Remember that's kind of the free money. This is the money that states get, and they're free to do what they want to with. Um, now, within reason, they can't go out and blow it on something crazy, uh, but they can spend it kind of at their discretion. Categorical grants, those are the ones that come with strings. Those are the ones that the federal government's going to watch that comes with some oversight. If the states are not spending it how they're supposed to, they're going to lose the money. Okay. Uh, the next one is the weaknesses of the articles and the constitutional responses. So you need to, to have an understanding of the Articles was not a good government, okay? And so the, the, the fix was put out there, all right, uh, because here's the problem and how are we going to fix it in this new constitution? Because remember, that's what they did. They, they completely revamped and changed the Articles, and they had to fix the problems that were created by the, uh, the Articles. Alrighty. So same deal. You're going to see the weaknesses of the articles listed, and then you're going to see how were those weaknesses addressed in the Constitution. Okay. So if you see, hey, no military, and then you say the Constitution created a military, that's the weakness and that's the fix. Okay. Uh, so just have an idea of the weaknesses that are out there from the articles and how the Constitution fix those weaknesses. And then the last one of those questions is the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. And I, I kind of relied a little bit too heavily on U.S. history here. 
uh, that you would have an understanding of Federalist versus Anti-Federalist. The big thing to remember about these two groups is they were against each other during the time of the Constitution. And the Federalists, they wanted a large republic. Okay? They wanted the large republic, the strong central government. The states, uh, they wanted a small republic with the states having most of the power. Okay. Um, okay. So those are those three. Those are only three of those table questions on this test. All right. Next up is Shays' Rebellion and its effects on the Articles. You know, Shays' Rebellion was not really that truly that big of a deal. It was a state thing where Massachusetts farmers were rebelling, and Massachusetts called for help, and the federal government called for help, but no one showed up. Now, Massachusetts really didn't have that much of a problem putting this this revolt down, but the it showed the cracks in the articles. And this is what people who wanted to change the articles anyway, this is just something they cited to say, hey, this, this government's not very good. This government's pretty weak. Look, they couldn't even call for help for one of the states. And so that's that's the importance of it. And people, I think, make a bigger deal about Shays' Rebellion than it is. It wasn't that big of a rebellion, but it's something that people back then used to cite the fact that, hey, this is a weak government. All right, separation of powers. This is number 11, separation of powers and checks and balances. Remember, separation of powers is the fact that we are going to not want to have one person having all the powers that our government has. So you have the power to write laws. You have the power to enforce the laws and the power to judge the laws. We don't want one person to have all those things or one group to have all those powers. So we separate them out. So we have a legislative branch that writes the laws. We have the president that will um, enforce the laws. And then we have the judicial branch, which is going to judge the laws. So we have that separation of powers. And that's where that comes from. OK, checks and balances are just the things that each branch has over the other one. So the president can veto laws that Congress passes that he doesn't like. Congress has to confirm every single confirm, uh, not every single, but most appointments. Every judgeship that the president appoints has to go through the Senate. All of his cabinet positions have to be approved by the Senate. And you know, our current president is going through a ton of them. Uh, he's having to, uh, he, people quit on him all the time. So they have to go through the Senate to get confirmed. All right. Um, the other part of that is remember that the, the stuff is important, but it also has, comes at a cost. It slows down our government. If we just had one person who could make decisions right there and whatever they say is kind of a, a decree and they're done and now it's going. Alexis Roche, please come to the main office. Alexis Roche, please come to the main office. Thank you. Hopefully Alexis gets to where she's going. Uh, all right. So anyways, it slows the stuff down because if there was that one person doing all those things, then it would be quick. I can make a decision. I can say what I want done and it can happen. Instead, we have Congress that has to create the laws and it takes them time. They have to introduce it. What well, has to be written up that has to be introduced. Then it goes into committees where they can work on it and do things to it. Then it goes to vote. And then once the house has approved it, it goes to the Senate and they have to do the same exact thing. So we don't see laws go through Congress. Look at split. It takes a while. Okay. And even then once Congress passes a bill, it has to go to the president for signature, and then it has to go to the bureaucracy to be enforced, and then it might get held up in court. So it takes a long time. So this, this process that we have, it slows down the process, but it's on purpose, okay? And the other thing to remember is that it gives us multiple access points, okay? Um, you, know, you can contact your congressman. Uh, we can get 
word to the president. You know, you can tweet at the president and let him know how you feel about something. I don't know that he's going to see it, but you can always do that. Okay. Um, but it just gives us all these different places that we can look to for help from the federal government. Uh, number 12, concurrent powers is pretty simple. That is powers that both the federal government and the state government share. Think taxes. Number 13, the 10th Amendment. Uh, this is the only amendment that's on there. I purposely left out the rest of them because I didn't want you to get bogged down and trying to memorize all 10 amendments when you're studying. Uh, the 10th Amendment, though, remember, this is what created kind of reserve powers. This is what's left to the state. As long as the Constitution does not specifically say the states can't do it, then the 10th Amendment kind of says they can. All right. Uh, so it specifically says the only people that can make money, coin money, is the national government, Congress. States can't do that. And that's specifically denied. All right. Uh, what is federalism? That's where multiple governments have power over us. So we have the, the federal government, the national government, and we have the state government who all can do things to us. They both can tax us. That's a concurrent power. Both the federal government and the state government can tax us. Number 15, how would Congress make changes to the driving age? So that is a state thing. The states get to, to make the driving age. So it can vary from state to state. I don't know if a state has it different than 16, but let's say they wanted to the state could. Okay. Let's say that Congress wants to make changes. They want to raise it to 18. How are they going to get that done? All right. Well, they're going to encourage the states. They're probably going to create some kind of mandate, some kind of policy that's going to go to the states. And they're going to say, states, we'd like for you to, to do this. So here's the, here's our letter saying why we want this done. And here's the mandate. And now please do it. States still can choose not to, to do that. They can decide, Hey, yeah, we're not too fond of that. We're not going to do it. But if Congress really wanted to make the change, then they're going to say, here's the mandate. And then here's where the money is going to get involved. Okay. Remember, this is how the federal government gets states to do things. They twist their arm with the money. So Congress is going to say, we want it to be 18 states. If you don't do it to 18, we're going to take money away from this program. We're going to take money away from this policy. We're going to cut your funding here. We're going to cut your funding there. So that's how they could get the states to drop the age, or raise the age to 18. All right, Wisconsin versus Yoder. Uh, this deals with free exercise. Uh, this was up in Wisconsin. Yoder is part of the Amish community up there. Uh, he was just one of multiple Amish families that were going to appeal. Basically, they wanted to pull their kids out of school, and Wisconsin had a rule in place that said you had you couldn't leave school until after I think it was 16 or so. Georgia's a 16, uh, and so the Amish wanted to pull their kids out like in middle school or so, so they could come work and, and do whatever. Uh, and so the appeal is going to happen. It's going to get to the Supreme court and the Supreme court is going to say, you know what? That is free exercise. The Amish, they have the ability, they have their right through their religious beliefs to pull their kids out. So they're going to kind of, they don't blow up the state law. Like uh, some of the, like Texas versus Johnson, they got rid of the flag burning stuff. Uh, but they are going to say that the Amish can get around the state law because of their religious beliefs, because of free exercise. So that's what you need to understand there. Uh, 17, the philosophers. Once again, on the test, the question is going to be about um, blank does this, blank does that. So let me give you what they each do. So Montesquieu, he's the first one up. He's the separation of powers person. Uh, that's where that idea comes from, is from his writings. Locke was natural rights and consent of the governed. Voltaire was separation of church and state. And then Hobbes, just overall, a lot of his stuff was pulled and put into the Constitution. The Three-Fifths Compromise, remember, that is what's going to give uh, the South the ability to count some of their slaves. 
uh, population was counted for representation and for taxes. The South wanted the slaves to count for representation purposes, but not for taxes. And the North was the opposite. They wanted them to count for tax purposes, but not for representation purposes. Three-fifths compromise is going to say we're going to count three-fifths of the, the population uh, for both taxes and for representation purposes. Okay. Um, the pluralist, elite, and hyperpluralism theories. Remember, pluralist theory, that's where there's groups. This is expected. It's going to happen in a large republic. They're going to take care of each other. So they're going to kind of cancel each other out under pluralist theory. In elite and class theory, this is where we're set up into classes and the elite, the wealthy, are going to make decisions that affect all of us. And then hyperpluralism, this is where the government cannot function properly because they're trying to keep every single group out there happy and it just does not work. They create one law that's going to upset another group. Uh, confederation and unitary confederation, this is what we had under the Articles of Confederation. Remember that. This is where you have a weak central government and you have the strong state governments. And then the unitary government, that's where you have the strong central government and the weak state governments. So we came from the unitary system with the English. We didn't like it. We tried out the confederation system with the Articles of Confederation. We found out we didn't like it. So we met the middle with federalism. Uh, 21, the difference between dual and cooperative federalism. So dual federalism, you might see it as the layer cake. This is where the state and the national governments are going to stay in their areas, stay in their lanes. So the national government deals with national defense. Georgia does not have to worry about providing national defense because the federal government does that. States have this education. The federal government is not going to come in and mess too much with a state's education system. Okay. Yes, the federal government has some standards they like to see taught, but at the end of the day, it's up to the states and the local schools to create their own standards. Okay. That's dual. Uh, cooperative federalism, that's where there's a blending. You might see it as marble cake federalism, and that's where the, their state and federal government are going to work together. So there's a hurricane coming up toward Florida uh, that might hit over the weekend. If it hits Miami and devastates Miami, both the state of Florida is going to be down there, along with the national government providing relief. So if you live in Miami area and your house has been, you know, damaged, you might have someone from the government show up and say, here's a debit card with some money on it. Go get supplies and resources and blah, blah, blah. And you might not know if it's a state guy or a federal guy because they're both going to be down there. That's cooperative federalism where they're working together. Um, the FBI works with local law enforcement a lot of times on some of these things you see sometimes uh, where they're going to arrest people. Uh, a lot of times the FBI and the state government, the state uh, law enforcement are working together. And then lastly, the amendment process, that is to create an amendment, you've got two options, okay, to create one. Congress can create it or the national conventions can create it. That's the only two, okay? Now, yes, me and you can write an amendment, but regardless, it's still going to have to go before one of these big national groups, either the National Congress or National Convention. They vote on it, two-thirds, say yes. It then goes to the states. The state legislatures can use it, uh, can sign it, ratify it or the state conventions can ratify it. We normally don't do the conventions because why? We already have a Congress in place. Congress is already up there. They can create these things and we don't have to pull together everybody into these national conventions. Same thing with the state legislatures. They're already down there. We already have those people down there elected. They're down in, in Atlanta working. Why do we need to pull together different people to go to be a part of the state convention? All right. All right, so there is the test. If you have questions, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, text me at the remind thing or whatever that does. I don't know what it does, uh, but feel free to do any of that stuff. Um, we'll take the test tomorrow in class. It is 35 questions. Uh, 
So best of luck and I hope this helps. Alrighty.